Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Wormburner Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and for this week, I really wanted to talk a little bit more about what's been going on at Chelsea Football Club. Some more pressing issues have come to light in the news articles and sections over in Europe and over here in the United States, and I really wanted to shed some light into it and basically talk about what is going to happen possibly to Chelsea Football Club. Then we will be hopping across the English Channel to be talking about the French League own for our league breakdown of the week and then wrapping up our episode with the extra man advice of the week. If you have not already, go to our Facebook page and like our Facebook page. It is facebook.com forward slash the Wormburner Podcast. And if you have not gone to our actual website, it is the wormburner podcast.captivate.fm. Again, that is the wormburner podcast.captivate.fm. There is a rating system for one star to five stars over your podcast. You can now uh, review us, and I look forward to seeing the reviews for the podcast. So let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. All right, so for the first section of this episode, I really wanted to talk about Chelsea Football Club and what's been going on over there. Here is a brief highlight of what's been going on, if you have not kept up with everything going on. So the owner of Chelsea Football Club is a man by the name of Roman Abramovich, and he is of Russian nationality. He has been linked to the Russian government, And because of this, the British government has seized all of his assets that are under English jurisdiction uh, for the Russia attack on Ukraine that has sadly not really been dulled down at all. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a conclusion anytime soon. I really hope that's not the case because I really don't want this to continue for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons I really wanted to get into for this episode, of course, being soccer-related, is because of the fact that with the seizing of Chelsea Football Club by the English government, this completely restricts any and all movement of money almost within the club. Of course, it can take in revenue, and it can take in all kinds of the vendors and as I said, match day revenue, as well as, I believe, some TV revenue. There's bits and pieces that have been blurred out when it comes to the overall reporting of this. But the long story short is that no major investment from Roman Abramovich himself can be made at all towards Chelsea Football Club. This, in turn, as a short-term isn't that much of a problem, but if this gets drug out even longer than it is, which the likelihood of that, at least for the time being, is likely, which is really, really bad, again, as I said, for multiple reasons, but just looking into the soccer reasons, Chelsea will not be able to sign any players that have their contracts running out at the club or they're not allowed to sign anyone to the club from an outside club. So a transfer into the club is barred 
as per the restrictions made by the English government. This can be a massive problem that I've already alluded to in an earlier episode of the Wormburner podcast. This can this can be massive. The reason I say that is because in recent reports coming out of Chelsea Football Club, there are two players that are basically in talks or thinking about majorly leaving Chelsea Football Club. The first one is Romelu Lukaku, which in my opinion is a massive decision. He had literally just gotten there last year from Inter Milan, and he's already thinking about leaving. He's come out in the press saying that coming back to Chelsea was actually one of the worst decisions that he's made. He really wished that he stayed at Inter, which I can definitely understand that considering the fact that, to my opinion, he is not being played in the best role at Chelsea. I think he can be utilized in a much better way. The An example of that is he thrived under a two-striker system. Chelsea is, is very known to not have that system or or they're more of a 3-4-3 when it comes to their attack formation-wise. And those two other attackers, other than Romelu Lukaku, is predominantly left and right attacking midfielders, which don't bode, which doesn't bode well for Lukaku himself. He actually likes a striking partner that is closer to him other than being on the wings. There is some evidence that shows this when it comes to Romelu Lukaku's time at Manchester United. When he was the sole striker up top for United, he didn't play that well. I think one of the highlight games, which I don't really want to mention, is basically due to the fact that it's against my own team, City. But the Manchester Derby in which Romelu Lukaku played on up top in a 4-3-3. Two of the attackers, as I stated before, with Chelsea's system, are being played as a left and right attacking midfielder, so they aren't really close to Lukaku himself, not helping the build-up of play. That can be a massive influence when it comes to transitions and when it comes to those situations on either headers or anything like that and when Lukaku's isolated like that he does not play his best in my opinion he doesn't play his best that is not saying he's a bad player the reason I say this is because again when I stated he played in a single striker system for Manchester United when he went to enter and he was utilized in a two-striker system with him and Lartaro Martinez, he was absolutely ruthless in front of goal. We saw numbers that we had never seen in, in a, it seemed like, a couple years for Lukaku, and it seemed like he was just a, a different soccer player in general than when he was playing in England beforehand. He was just an absolute monster and a beast to play against in in the Italian league, we hadn't seen anything like this, as I said, in, in a very long time. And because, in my personal opinion, Tuchel is not using him to the best of his ability, it's gonna put some major doubt in Lukaku's mind. And again, in my honest opinion, 
he's not going to want to stay because he's not utilized in the position or in the best formation that he that he can be. And when you're paying that much amount of money for a player of Lukaku's standard and caliber, you need to be able to come up with a system and have a system ready that he can fit into. That's a major problem that I've seen with these cash-strapped clubs, that they buy these players just for the heck of it, and they don't really have a system for them, or or they don't, they are not molded, or the formation and the tactics are not molded to the way that the player can best adapt and play, or learn from. That's just, it's not going to happen. You can't force a player to play a position that they've either A, never played, or B, they aren't comfortable playing. It's just never going to happen nine times out of ten. You may get that one player that's really good at adapting and being able to take over in those situations, but needless to say, it's it's most likely not going to happen. And this this is one of those cases where I just feel like, personally, I don't, criticize Chelsea for buying Lukaku because he was an ab- like I said before he's an absolute monster in the Italian league but because of the fact that he wasn't utilized I don't say that it was a bad transfer just an unrecognized potential transfer because I feel that he could have soared to the same levels he did in Italy if he was utilized in the same way a striking partnership of Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku would be absolutely ridiculous if you get them on the same wavelength, but a different a different project in itself because Timo Werner is a much more singular striker. He just unfortunately wasn't able to kick it off at Chelsea. I thought that was going to be a really good signing, but I don't want to talk too much about Werner since we are talking about Lukaku, and then the other individual that is touted to be stepping away from Chelsea is Jorginho, which is a bit interesting to me, considering the fact I, honestly, I did not see that coming. He had been a long servant at the club for a couple years now, and it seemed like he had a pretty stable position and a, a... recognized spot of importance with Chelsea. I don't know to this moment why he's been disgruntled and why he's not happy there anymore. I'm just not entirely sure. I am going to be following these reports again very closely because if this continues and the transfer ban continues into the summer transfer window... This is going to be massive for Chelsea because they're going to be losing players and they are not going to be able to sign anyone. That's why when I say the loss of potential for Lukaku is if they sell Lukaku, they won't have another recognized star striker other than other than Timo Werner, of course. But you've got to reincorporate him into the team. It seems like Chelsea, even though they are good, they're underperforming with some of their numbers, and you've got to be able to have the team step up and create those big moments that they've been lacking, it seems like, for the time being, especially off the back of losing to Real Madrid today, being the tie in the Champions League. It was a very valiant comeback, making it 3-2 for the second leg, but Overall, you're talking about possibly a complete squad 
rebuild at least for the attackers, hopefully not the midfield, especially if Jorginho leaves. You're going to be hard-pressed to get another ball-progressive midfielder like him. It's just it; those numbers won't come back very easily, especially if you can't sign anybody. And relying on academy talent is just ridiculous. Uh, uh, honestly, for me, you have Mason Mount, Mason Mount, which is really, really good. This isn't to say anything about him because he's been unbelievable for Chelsea, stepping up to the plate and getting everything that they have, as well as, uh, of course, of course, you can't go without recognizing Ingolo Conte. He's been an unbelievable workhorse in the middle of the park, making sure that that the defenses helped as well as just keeping everything solidified in that midfield as that ball playing slash hard tackling and and just ruthless defensive midfielder for Chelsea. If you're losing the caliber of either starter or backup, it depends on if what you view Jorginho as, if you can't replace him or worst case scenario, you lose Lukaku and you can't replace him. Chelsea could be looking at a massive, massive problem in the coming years. Especially if some of their other talent becomes disgruntled. I really don't want to say these things because whenever it comes to a soccer team being involved in these kinds of situations, it sucks. And for me, unfortunately, I don't have an answer as to how I would have treated this differently. It's all evolving in due time, and maybe I might come up with a solution at a, at a later time that I could present for the podcast, but it's neither here nor there. It's one of these things that I'm keeping up live up to date, and I hope that you guys are too as well. Hopefully something is resolved. I know that within this next month, they are talking about announcing a new owner for Chelsea. I know, obviously, talking about the previous time, Chelsea is in the process of selling it depends on if that's going to get across the line. And uh, if they don't, I really don't want it to happen. I really, really, because to have a club like Chelsea go down because of something like this, I, not relegation, I mean just in stature in general, to have that happen, it's just, you don't want to even think about it, even as a soccer fan of a, of a different team. I don't I don't want to think about that of of anyone. I it just seems like a completely unfair thing that has been implicated on the club itself because of reasons and it sucks because it involves more people and the overall situation is just a bad situation in general. I just wish that there was a way to separate it away from Chelsea Football Club and you know that's the best that I can report and the best that I can say from the situation. So let's go ahead and get into the league breakdown of League Own. All right. So for our league breakdown this week, I really wanted to, I'm so excited to really be talking about the French League because this is one that honestly, in my opinion, doesn't get too much recognition and this is still a very interesting and fun league to really watch and understand what and what and how the history behind League Own has happened, as well as some of the rivalries when it comes to League Own, because a particular rivalry has 
come up within the past couple of years. A rivalry has come up within the past 40 decades, roughly. So not since the beginning of the French top flight, but a newer derby when it comes to the French top flight. So for the overall league-owned history, the league was first officially started in 1930. With this, it has been around for 92 years, so this is their 92nd season. And with that, there have been overall a a plethora of different teams winning the league over the span of this 90 plus years. However, when it comes to the overall leader of this league, it's a team that you wouldn't expect. So the number one team in Ligue 1 that has won the most titles is Saint-Étienne with 10 titles. I think that's really interesting considering the fact that over the recent decade, French football has really been dominated by one team and one team only. Needless to say, it's PSG. Now, the interesting tidbit, though, is... When you look at the list of overall winners of League Own, you notice that PSG isn't in first, but they aren't in second either because they're actually joint second with Olympic Marseille, which is just a, a fascinating fact in general because, again, this dominance of PSG has really shown over the past couple of years, only a decade it seems, being that PSG is not on top of league titles, they only need one more league title to match St. Etienne. But they need another one to even pass them for the most league titles in league own history. Now, for the third, or I'm sorry, for the fourth and fifth place teams that have the most league own titles, it is another tie between Monaco and Nantes with eight league titles. That wraps up the top five teams in Ligue 1. Now to go to the domestic cup competition in France, which is the Coupe de France. The Coupe de France has been around since 1917. So again, being with the whole regional tournaments versus a central top flight league this again takes precedence in France and this history is over 105 years old the most league titles or I'm sorry the most Coupe de France titles have been won by one team outright it is PSG so there is a bit of symbionts here uh, with PSG having the most Cup titles in France with 14. In second place is Olympic Marseille with 10. In third place, you have Saint Etienne with 6. Tying for third place is Lille with 6 titles. And then there is a two way tie for fifth place between RC Paris which, or Racing Club Paris and Monaco with five Coupe de France titles. That wraps up the Coupe de France leaders. 
with that, that leads to the team that has never been relegated from the French top flight. I feel like it's a little unsuspenseful because it is PSG, but they have not been in the league since the inception of the French league. PSG have been in Ligue 1 since 1974. So when they got promoted to Ligue 1 in 1974, they have not been relegated since then. At least for the way financially, it doesn't seem like that they're going to get relegated anytime soon. But moving on to the rivalries within French football, this has been a bit of a change within the recent 10 years, as I said before, with the rivalries or the notable rivalries in French football. When it comes to the region rivalries or location rivalries in France, it doesn't really happen that often. Normally, you see those rivalries in the Coupe de France or maybe some friendly tournament outside of that. When it comes to regional, they don't happen that often. They do happen, but they don't happen as often because when it comes to the teams within these regions, the leagues separate these two teams so they don't play as often. And when it comes to the actual city rivalries in France, they don't they they meet even less than regional because the leagues are divided even more when it comes to how often these teams play. I know that in France there are a couple, or I'm sorry, in Paris there are a couple teams that play in the capital of Paris, but multiple divisions separate the one of the teams and the uh, the last team that play in Paris. So when it comes to rivalries within France, it is mainly down to a competitive nature of where these type, where these rivalries stem from. The biggest before PSG came to the scene in France was the Olympique de Marseille and Saint-Étienne rivalry. The reason this one was significant is because paying attention to the league title winners, Marseille and Saint-Étienne are the two teams with the most French league titles other than PSG. And that is where that rivalry stems from. They are two of the more successful teams in France. And this, these two teams hold nothing back when it comes to their rivalry. Because before PSG came into the picture, these were the dominant teams in France from the 60s up until the 2000s roughly 2010 they are still dominant powers not to say that they've been they haven't been to the same caliber as they have before because again these two teams are some of the largest in France the overall competitiveness of these two teams puts them at the forefront of this rivalry discussion and that is where it leads to the biggest rivalry per se based off the accolades 
that have been won between these two teams in Paris. It is Le Classique with PSG and Olympic Marseille. So Marseille is still in that discussion of the biggest teams or one of the biggest teams in Marseille still to this day being able to compete with PSG. I would venture to say that some would also say Lyon and to some extent Saint-Étienne also fits under that umbrella as well. But the main highlight between the first and second most successful teams in France is Marseille and PSG. This has gained a lot of traction over the past 20 years with the funding of PSG coming in. They have grown PSG exponentially and one of the reasons why they are so dominant. This is the reason why this rivalry has become the more premier rivalry in the French top flight. And with that, that is going to wrap up the French League. We'll be right back with the Extra Man Advice of the Week. All right, so for our Extra Man Advice of the Week, I wanted to take a slightly different approach because I feel like one of our underrepresented groups in soccer are goalkeepers, and I wanted to take this extra man advice of the week to really hone in on the goalkeeping technique and and stuff that needs to be brought out with goalkeepers. So the four key components when it comes to the overall look of a goalkeeper that scouts look for when it comes to a goalkeeper that they want to sign or they want to build up in this in the league that they're in or the team that they're at maybe they are able to nurture this player they're a rather young player and they're able to gain experience with going with this other team the key components i would say are three of them some say four but the reason i'll get into the reason but these three reasons are handling and shot stopping So obviously being able to handle the ball, know where a shot is going to be or have a estimated outcome, having good reactions when it comes to these shot-stopping abilities. There, There is a lot that goes on with being a goalkeeper. You have to make decisions. And I remember coaching for with Florida Elite and the goalkeeper that I was working with he had really good ability to assess the situation very quickly but he would caution himself too many times he would know how to react to the situation but with hesitation it would cause the striker to either score or get around him It was a bit of uncertainty, and when it comes to the handling and shot stopping, I told him, and I I pulled him to the side, and we had a good discussion. I felt it was a very productive moment because after that, he was a lot more confident when it comes to playing. You have to have that confidence, first off, when you play, but what I had told him is that when you 
have a mental choice as a goalkeeper. You you should not hesitate. If you feel that this decision is going to be best, you need to be behind that decision 110%. That is why, in my personal opinion, goalkeepers get a bad slack or a bad rap when it comes to announcers, people going over and looking at the film of goalkeepers because if they make a a poor decision, they have to live with that decision of knowing I made that decision and I could have hesitated and thought about it, but that would have made the situation worse. You have to have that confidence to go in there and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And if the situation changes, being able to adjust and having that confidence to switch that reaction or switch the particular action that you're going to do to save the ball. So that's with the handling and shot stopping. The second one, which kind of incorporates the second and third one that when it comes to the components scouts look for is command of the area. So when it comes to the overall penalty box in soccer, you need to know how to command that area. Know where your teammates are, knowing where the opponents are, always keeping your head head on that swivel, and understanding when, when you can and cannot go towards a specific ball. Maybe the opposing team passes a through ball, but because maybe you have the instinct of staying on the line, you don't have the commanding of the area presence that a goalkeeper should have and come out and either kick the ball out of play or uh, kicking it back upfield towards maybe one of your strikers, getting the ball completely out of the situation in general, or coming out and potentially challenging the striker for possession of the ball and getting your hands on it, of course, within the penalty box. It's a completely different scenario every single time, but having that confidence and command of the area makes it a whole different ball game and being able to assert yourself in those positions really highlights the command of the area. And the third one, which to me is as a American is the most undervalued one of them all is distribution. So being able to distribute the ball to your teammates, how are you able to do that? Is it a pinpoint pass? Is it a a throw from the back? How are you getting your teammates the ball? And how are you utilizing them to the best of your ability to progress the ball forward? Soccer is a sport where you are playing with 11 men, not 10. When it comes to the American mentality, I genuinely feel that goalkeepers get a bad rap, and I know so many people, even myself personally, when I was getting into, into soccer at 11, 12, 13 years old, heavily, I mean, not playing recreational at five, six, seven years old. I mean heavily getting into soccer at 11 to 12 years old. I remember seeing the ball going backwards in English games, in the the league games in Spain, and all those games I was seeing, I'd see the ball going backwards to the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper would pass it, and I got this moment of, <gasps> like, my heart would stop if they did that, because 
when you go backwards in American sports, it's either A, a really negative thing, or B, you're penalized for it. it it's actually a negative thing when it comes to American the American mentality. So that was one of the things I had to mentally break myself of, seeing the ball go backwards to the goalkeeper. This is an 11th player. He shouldn't be excluded from play when it comes to soccer in general. Overall, these are the three key areas that scouts look for when it comes to assessing a goalkeeper to sign or bring to their club or organization. I hope you guys find that helpful, and thank you so much to make for making it to the end of this episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A million times thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it for this week. We'll be back next week to bring you another week of amazing soccer. I hope you guys have fun. Enjoy all the soccer that you can put your eyes on and just being able to kick the soccer ball around with friends in a pickup game or even competitively. I hope you guys have an amazing week this next week, and I look forward to bringing back the podcast next week. And stay safe, have fun, love soccer, and I'll see you guys next week. Ciao, everyone.